morning. Welcome to First Christian Church. We're, we're glad that you're here today. Um, I'm filling in for Greg as he's on vacation. And uh, we're, we're kind of at the beginning of a five-week series uh, through the parables. And uh, before we start, I just want to um, uh, start our, our message time, our, our word time with a word of prayer. So let's go to, let's go to the Father. Father, we come before you today. Uh, God, we know we need you so, so desperately. And Father, I just ask that, uh, that you would be in this place right now, God, that you would fill our hearts, you would fill our minds. Father, would you help us to throw off the things that are keeping us from you? God, would you help us to focus this morning? God, would you help us to dwell in your word? Would you help us to understand what you're trying to communicate to us today? It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would, uh, open up your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 10. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapters 10, uh, starting with verses 25 all the way to, to 37. We're talking about the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. And uh, this is a, a, maybe uh, Jesus' most famous parable. It's a parable that, that many people know. Uh, the, the title Good Samaritan kind of gets thrown around, uh, you know, a, a lot uh, as, as just a way to, um, you know, that somebody's helped somebody that, that doesn't deserve it or that needed help. Uh, we talk about the Good Samaritan doing that. So we're just going to start by reading the text, and, uh, and then we'll kind of pick it apart piece by piece. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25 and following, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought, to, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when, you, when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go, do likewise. So Jesus is about halfway through his ministry on earth. And this lawyer comes around and he wants to test Jesus. 
because Jesus is, is kind of starting to make a name for himself. People are starting to, to hear some rumblings about this, this man named Jesus and, and what he's teaching about and how it's kind of different than what most of the rabbis of the time have been talking about. And so this lawyer comes up to him and the interaction kind of starts with the lawyer standing up and beginning to ask his question. Now, this is important because when a teacher teaches, his audience sits. His students sit. And so by the very nature of this lawyer standing to ask his question, he's taking the posture that he's not going to be learning anything from Jesus. And that he is merely there for a test to challenge him. Almost an, a, a type of arrogance in this particular scenario. The lawyer didn't want to be taught, but wanted to prove that he was really an expert in the law. And so his question is, a question to trap Jesus, and it says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, knows exactly what this guy really wants. He wants to be heard. He wants Jesus to either admit that he doesn't know everything, or he, he wants him to, uh, he wants to have an opportunity to speak up. And so Jesus responds by asking him a question first. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus knew that this guy wants to be heard because, after all, he is an expert in the law. And so the man responds to him a quote that he, he knew and almost every good Jew would have known. Comes from the book of the law. Comes from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And he knew that Jesus was combining these two verses together from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And he says, and your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus' response is so simple in this particular context. He just says, do this and you will live. Seems easy enough, right? And I, I can just imagine the lawyer's response to this. He, he probably feels a little bit defeated in this particular scenario. He probably feels like he's had the tables turned a little bit. Because he wanted, to, he wanted to kind of trap Jesus, and he knew that Jesus was teaching about this. And, and he also begins to probably realize that what, what Jesus' response here is a pretty big job. To be able to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. He begins to feel like that's a... That's kind of unattainable. It's like Jesus almost said to him, if you want to inherit eternal life, you have to jump this 10-foot fence. And I love the way the ESV translates the next verse. Verse 29, it says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? What he's trying to do there, to be justified in biblical language, means to be granted the status of one whom God accepts as he stands before God. 
This fellow desiring to justify himself is clearly a person who wants to achieve acceptance before God on his own. He's trying to figure out how he can earn his salvation. The man is trying to get Jesus to diminish the demands of the law in order for it to be an attainable goal. He doesn't want everybody to be his neighbor. He wants a select few. And so he's asking for, for clarification here. And who should I call my neighbor? You know, He wants Jesus to say, well, it's the people in your town. Or in your family. And so it's kind of like he's asking the question, how close to the line can I get? How good do I really need to be in order to gain my salvation? What exactly do I need to do? How little can I do in order to be a Christ follower? Or in order to, to, to be right with God? But Jesus' response is, is perfect. He tells this simple story, this earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He tells this parable. It says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. After we, we read that the, the man was beaten and he's left for dead, and it says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, there's a few things at play here that we need to understand about the priest. By chance means that he wouldn't normally have been going down that road. He might have been in a hurry. He might have just been in a rush to get home. The reason why he was likely in Jerusalem was to perform his priestly duties in Jerusalem. There's a, a four-week term of service, and then they go home. And many priests lived in Jericho. And so he's on this 18-mile road, which had lots of twists and turns, and was known to have many violent incidents because there's lots of places to hide and and things like that, but there was this other road, but it was longer, and, and so it was by chance that he was on this road, because normally he would have been going down the longer road, which was much safer and straighter. So the man, if, if he was conscious, might have been thinking, finally, someone, maybe even recognizing that he was a priest and, and thinking, surely this man of God will offer some assistance. The readers of the day, uh, or the, the listeners of, of the day, as Jesus is telling the story, would have assumed that Jesus would have been talking about this priest, and they would have assumed that the priest would have been riding on some sort of an animal, that, that he would have not had to walk because the priests were, were often wealthy. They, they had enough wealth that they could provide their own sort of transportation instead of having to walk. And so it would have been all the better for him to be able to take this man on the side of the road and put him on his own donkey or, or whatever he was riding on and, and take him to Jericho. He was likely heading home from Jerusalem where he would have performed his priestly duties. So he's been probably away from home for at least four weeks and the risk that he ran in this scenario is that if he would have touched this man, 
and the man would have been dead instead of just unconscious or instead of beaten so badly he couldn't move, he would have become defiled. And if he was defiled, he would have had to have gone back to Jerusalem, to the temple, and had another priest perform purification rites, and it would have been another week-long process. And so if he was already in a hurry to get home, that would have delayed the process that much more. And so in order to just avoid that altogether, to avoid the inconvenience, he simply decides to ride on the other side of the road, to not even come close, to stay as far away from this guy as possible and go right on by. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So the Levites were the assistants to the priests in the temple. And so the odds are, are pretty favorable that this Levite would have either have known the priest or worked with him directly Either way, they, they would have understood that they were probably both on the way home on this road. So the Levite probably knew that this priest was in front of him, and he also probably knew that the priest would have gone right on by. And so, as we read this and we see the Levite passing by, we can begin to kind of understand his mindset too. That if he were to pick up the guy that this man of God, this priest of the temple passed by, then he would have been upstaging the priest. So there's cultural ramifications for that. There's, it, it's, a, it's a big deal. You can't insult the priest by doing what the priest should have done. And so he simply decides to avoid But then a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, as the original hearers of this story, the, the Jews would have been furious with this reference, because Samaritans were hated outsiders, and for them to be the hero of this story is infuriating when the Jews themselves were the ones that passed right on by. They still were under the understanding that the Jews were the only ones that were going to inherit the kingdom of God and no one else. Verse 34, it says, He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to, an, to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Man, the, the story of the Samaritan just, it, it should speak to us. It, it should communicate to us that loving others requires us to sacrifice and to give of ourselves, to give of our time, to give of our talents, the things that God's gifted us with, and not to mention to give of our money. Loving others well requires that we are sacrificially giving 
to those that are in need. This guy is, is just doing this perfect job of illustrating exactly what the lawyer even said, to love your neighbor as yourself. But coming into Jericho, he, he had even more to lose. This Samaritan had even more to lose. So he brings this wounded Jewish man into a Jewish city. And remember, he's the hated one. He's the hated outsider. And so for him to come into a Jewish city with a Jew that was injured, he was putting his own life on the line. Because people might have assumed that he was the one that had done the injury. But he put all of that aside, all of the cultural ramifications aside, all of the, the things that should have kept him from helping out this man. To love him well. Every time I've heard this story, though, that's kind of the conclusion that I come to. Man, I just need to love people better. I just need to be like this good Samaritan. I need to be willing to give more of myself. I need to, I need to be willing to, to offer everything I have. And the problem is it feels unattainable. And many times I end up just feeling guilty. I mean, this is a great, noble, ethical model of the way we as Christians should live our lives. But I think Jesus did that on purpose. See, Jesus presents to us an unattainable model. He's presenting to us the gospel, the true gospel, that we can't earn our salvation under any circumstance. Last year when I preached on Samson, I shared with you kind of a model of the way God works in our lives. The first way is that he meets us where we're at. And then he tells us the truth about who we really are, and sometimes it hurts to hear the truth. And then he offers us a pardon for our sin in the person and the work of Jesus, and then he demands a response through us repenting. So in this story, he's telling us the truth about who we are, that we can't meet the model of the Samaritan, that it's impossible. I think he kind of gives us four different examples of who we might be in this story. The first is the lawyer, the expert in the law. And I'll just be very honest with you, sometimes, many times, most of the time probably, I feel like this is where I'm at. I feel like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a rule follower. I feel like I, I just, you know, I remember the first time I said a curse word. I felt so guilty that I, I made this pact with God. Because I felt so guilty and so bad for, for what I had said. Because I felt like that was how I got my salvation, was by following the rules. I also think sometimes with this idea of the lawyer, he's asking the question, well, I mean, really, who is my neighbor? He's trying to do just good enough 
to get by. He's trying to, to just pay his dues to check in and check out. Somebody came and talked to me after first service, and, and they just said, you know, sometimes I feel like this is the way many people in the church are. That they just want to come in, and they want to see how little they can do to be a Christian and still have eternal life. That's exactly what this lawyer is doing. How little can I do and yet still have all the benefits? Maybe you feel like you're the priest in this scenario. There's too much at risk. There's too many things that you might lose out upon. It's not in your time constraints to help somebody or to give to somebody. What if he was dead and then there's an inconvenience factor? Time was probably a huge factor for him and I know for a lot of us, time is a huge factor determining how we're going to give. Do we have the time to give? Maybe you're like the Levite, and you understand the cultural ramifications, what it might be like to, to upstage somebody else, or the way your perception in, in the community might look if you were to start giving sacrificially. You're just aware of culture, and it's affecting how you follow Jesus. Hopefully, you're like the Samaritan, though, and you tend to have compassion, and you give willingly. Maybe you've tried to be the Samaritan before, and you got burned. I've been there before. Now, there's one time where my wife and I, we, God had blessed us, and we felt like we could give to somebody else who had a need that we had heard about, and so we, we gave to them, and I, you know, at that time, you know, I felt like that was a pretty big sacrifice for us, and you know, I was wanting a huge pat on the back, and maybe a, like, man, we couldn't have done it without you, and I kind of wanted to be the savior kind of of the situation, and we didn't get so much as a thank you, and I was like, well, forget this giving sacrificially thing. Because I wanted to be the one to get the recognition. Or maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been burned by sacrificially giving. You know, I think obviously our goal, our noble ethical model is to look like the Samaritan. But I know many of us, maybe most of us, maybe all of us in this room are not acting like it because it's unattainable. And I would suggest to you that if it comes hard for you to try to be like the Samaritan, if that is difficult, as it is for me, I think we need to be re-gospeled. That doesn't mean that you need to rededicate or, or be re-baptized, but, but man, we just need to hear the power of the good news of Jesus dying on the cross for us. His blood cleansing us and making us right before God. We need to hear that more than anything else. And we need to fall in love with the gospel of, of Jesus again. That's part of the reason why coming to church each week is important. Because hopefully when you come here, you're reminded of the gospel each week. And it calls you to respond and look differently and act differently. 
And you need to know that you can achieve this goal. You can't achieve this goal of being so good that you can get to heaven. It's only through Jesus. Love what Galatians 2 says. It says, here's what we know now. No one is made right with God by obeying the law. It is by believing in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus. This is so we could be made right with God by believing in Christ. We are not made right by obeying the law. That's because no one can be made right with God by obeying the law. Later on it says, I do not get rid of the grace of God. What if a person could become right with God by obeying the law? Then Christ died for nothing. One of the commentaries I I read this week kind of gave this this quote, which I feel like just summarizes just the way that I've been feeling as as I've read through this and just feeling like I don't measure up and and feeling like I know I want to become like the Samaritan. And hopefully you're feeling like that too, but just feeling this immense pressure of just trying to follow the rules and trying to be good enough. And we don't measure up. And here's what it says. Experience dictates that it is very hard to love the unlovely neighbor until the disciple's heart is filled with the love of God, which then provides the energy and the motivation necessary for the arduous task of loving the neighbor. Man, I just love that. That we have to be filled with the love of God in order to then love the injured person on the side of the road. We have to become transformed by the power of Jesus in order to then be transformed and to look differently. We just can't do it on our own. Just love the power of of the gospel in my life. I feel this immense freedom because I don't have to measure up anymore. Because I don't have to be good enough. Because if I make a mistake and I, I go by on the side of the road and I don't stop for the person that needs my help, that there is forgiveness. And there is a next time Hopefully, God has convicted me, and God has changed my heart to look a little more like His, and compassion fills me with love for the hated outsider. Let's pray this morning. Father, Father, we need your, your power, your transforming work to be done in our lives. God, we need you. We need you to change us from the inside out. Father, as we just come before you and we worship you, God, would you help us to just remember the gospel? For us to re-fall in love with you again and not just think about paying our dues when we come into church. But that might be life-transforming for us. God, thank you for Jesus. 
Thank you for Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you need prayer, if you need, uh, if you want to make a decision for Christ, we invite you to come forward as we sing a song of invitation. Would you stand? Let's worship. Thank you. 
of you, Lord, less of me. Take this life, Lord, it's yours. Have my heart, have it all. Have a seat. My name is John Rogers, and I currently serve on your board of elders here at FCC. At FCC, all are welcome at the table of the Lord. When the plate is passed, go ahead and partake of the bread, and then when all have been served and are ready, we will drink the cup together. As we come to this time of communion, we are asked to remember Jesus. In the Old Testament, they had to look forward to Jesus. Can you imagine what might be happening 700 years in our future? The prophet Isaiah did. Here's what he said, looking forward to Jesus 700 years in his future. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by 